Hello and welcome to First Graft. I'm Heidi James and this is my podcast where I'm going to be talking about the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the ugly as I write my latest novel, The Sound Mirror. This is chapter four. How are you? What are you up to? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you doing? What are you thinking about? What's giving you the heebie-jeebies? Keeping you up late at night? Um, or giving you solace or comfort. Let me know. It's always good to hear what you're all doing and how your writing's going, if you're writing at all, or are you on a hiatus, or are you someone who just loves to read? Write in, let me know on Twitter, at Heidi Pearl James, or on the First Graft Facebook page. You can find me. You know where. It's easy. Um, But yeah, let me know how you're doing. Let me know what your procrastination tactics are, your sustenance, your um, way of getting through the marathon. So I'm going to start with a very small whinge window because no one likes a Mona. Um, It's been a weird, horrible couple of weeks for no reason other than work, work, work busy stuff being an adult you know all that crap but also a bit of a plummet in confidence I think sometimes when you're tired and all the juices all your creative energies everything is going towards paying the bills and all that stuff um it becomes difficult to free up energy and brain space for what you're creating so I reached out which isn't I usually you know do that buckle up be quiet, pretend everything's all right, stuff. Um, Reached out on Twitter and Instagram and just got the most amazing response from so many different writers, people I know, people I don't, saying, um, you know, this is normal, be kind to yourself, give yourself a break. Uh, Loads of advice, things that people do to keep going, whether it's getting out into the world, going for a lovely long walk, just having some, you know, easy stuff, watch some telly and don't even try or go to an exhibition, read more. Loads of great advice. One person just said, just bastard right. <laughs> just, yeah, you're right. Just got to get on with it. So my advice to you would be reach out to people if you're really stuck because people just, even if it's not advice you're looking for, it's just that reassurance that you are not alone, that it's part of the process this is normal which I know we all know but it's hard to keep that in mind when you're in the midst of a sort of confidence crisis as it were that you sort of think oh god is it gonna last forever am I in this kind of dark deep hole and I can't ever think my way out of this and that's it it's over it isn't we just got to keep on going one person said to me um you just got to remember why you do it and Ariel and I chatted a bit about that last week and it's true it's like why do we write why are we doing it find the joy stop thinking about the sort of value um how good it is it's not gonna be any good if it's a first draft so why are we doing it get back into the fun and that sense of joy in the expression even if it's a painful slightly bloody joy um 
so I haven't been procrastinating. There is no procrastination station from me this week because I have been marking, 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 preparing for big fancy meetings and trying to write where I can. So no procrastination. Um, Thought I may be able to build some in at some point, I reckon. Perhaps a little TV watch. I quite fancy Sabrina. Apparently it's fun but dark and interesting. So maybe a little Netflixery to loosen up the old brain. Um, yeah, so that's the end of my wind window. And thank you to everyone who messaged me and said so many beautiful things that were really encouraging and lovely and reassuring and um, commiserating in solidarity. It, I know I'm lucky. I'm very privileged in so many ways and I am very grateful. But sometimes we get hit by a low one, don't we? And that's okay. So if you need any um, hugs, comfort, warmth, reach out. We're here. We're there. We'll be there for you. We gotcha. And remember, even writers like Graham Greene had trouble. I was teaching um, The End of the Affair this week to my students, which was great. Uh, And I was reminded of this. So much in writing depends on the superficiality of one's days. One may be preoccupied with shopping and income tax returns and chance conversations, but the stream of the unconscious continues to flow undisturbed. Solving problems, planning ahead, one sits down sterile and dispirited at the desk, oh yeah, hallelujah, and suddenly the words come through from the air, the situations that seem blocked in a hopeless impasse move forward. The work has been done while one slept or shopped or talked with friends. Oh, thanks, Graham. Honestly. What a hero. If he had problems and could write about them, we're all right. We're in good company. Yes. Lovely little bit of uplifting piano there for us to lighten the mood. Um, All right, so the graft. One of the main stumbling blocks for me is point of view. Who's going to tell your story? Um... From which angle are we getting in? Which window are we opening to get into this house? Which door? Um, Because, of course, as you guys will all be thinking about and knowing when you're writing and reading, there are always limitations. So if you go first person, you are entirely limited to that person's perspective, that voice, that character. And they've got to be one heck of a character to sustain a novel. Um second person which I have used in a novel in Wounding um, but I switched chapter by chapter so you sort of get two different perspectives two two points of view obviously um, which is something I like to do in writing I've noticed everything I do seems to be switching from chapter to chapter to get that many perspectives to allow us in in different ways I think it can be really interesting because it unsettles the story. We see all those many different versions of the story, and I find that really interesting. Um, not just to read, but to think about. You know, it, it's it's for me that's more um, representative, or perhaps that's the wrong word, expressive of of what it is to be a human, what it is to be in this world with these many perspectives, different ways of looking at it, and unsettledness around what is real or true, or or viable even um 
So second person is tough because it's you, you, you. And I'm not sure that, I mean, I'm sure it could be done for a whole novel, but I think I'd find that quite difficult for an entire novel. And then, of course, we've got the various third persons, omniscient, close third, or free and direct style, which is, for me, the most elegant and interesting. But they all have their value, and it's which one. I find often when I'm really, really stuck with a novel, or even a short story, it's the point of view that I'm struggling with and if I switch it suddenly the story opens up and gets easier because you do have all those you know you go in this window but that means you got to stick to that you got to stick to that route so you don't know what's going on or you can't see what's happening from another person's perspective if you're going to stick with the first person Um, and that was really that's been a real problem for the sound mirror the one I'm writing right now because I'm writing from these three different people's perspectives, well, actually, I want to sort of... Here's the problem. Let's just get down to brass tacks. I would like to collapse many consciences consciences, into one narratorial voice for the modern-day, the contemporary character, in that I'm trying to show how we are the product of our ancestors good or ill that there's the epigenetic changes through trauma that the things our families have lived through are affecting our brain chemistry their brain structure how we remember the memories we have what we're afraid of what we're not afraid of how brave we are as well as the behavioral models and those lessons we're taught as we're growing up so i wanted to kind of find a way to collapse that and play with time the past and the present so that was my sort of playing with this and then with the other two characters the ancestral characters the grandmas I'm thinking do I have them in first person have their have them tell their story because of course they're female characters and female characters don't often get a voice and it's important that their story revolves around them and they are not silenced or are they in third person or very, very close, free and direct style thirds. So we have their voices, but we are sat on their shoulders, so we're not quite in their minds. So we get some enough distance that we can make some judgments or have some objectivity. That is what I've been playing with, and that's what I'm really not struggling with, but that's my sort of challenge at the moment, getting that absolutely right. Um, so I thought, if I may... I'd read two extracts. These are the beginnings. You guys have heard some of this, but I'm going to read it from my sort of experiments. I'm going to read the third person, the collective we narrative, which is that sort of collapsed ancestral voice, and then the first person. And I'd love to know what you think's best, if at all. You might think they're both crap. But, you know, whatever you think, I'd love to know. And also, tell me what struggles you have with point of view. I really think that it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for me. It it really is. Um, Because once I've got that figured out, I can reach out and find my way through the rest of it. But it's that finding the point of view and the way in that I want to go. Who's telling this story? Why are they telling it? That, for me, is the biggest challenge. Or maybe it's just another way of, you know, procrastinating. But I think it's so important. And I've read incredible novels where I think 
oh, this might have been actually, I wonder what this would have been like in a different point of view. I wonder if this would have brought me closer or held me further away from the, from the sort of blood and guts, the meat and bones of it. Anyway, so this is the very beginning of the contemporary voice in the sound mirror from the collective narratorial style. She is going to kill her mother today. It's a beautiful day for it. Winter sharp, the sky an unfussy blue. She's even hired a fancy car, a Mercedes, especially for the journey. The man gave her a discount when she told him where she was going. The 400-mile round trip will be a breeze. So here we are, driving down the M4 to be face-to-face with her for the last time. Of course we're along for the ride. How could we not? It's been a long time coming, and our fault, we should say. Funny that. Speaking with one voice now, agreeing with each other, but yes, our fault and the others, all the others, tangled up with poisons and infections and rottenness, our mothers and mothers' mothers containing us, we in their bellies, seeds of each in the cells and the breath, before splitting into the doubling like an atomic bomb, and now she holds us all, a rabble of ancestors, pressing up from inside against her skin, and she too contains the next generation, if she wanted, if she can bear to, bear it, bear a child. Who could blame her if not? But for now, she's the sum of all us women, the total. She is what's left. See, I really like that. That for me feels like I've got lots more freedom to play with language and move around and slip and slide and slink around. Do you know what I mean? So this is the other version. First person. I am going to kill my mother today. It's a beautiful day for it winter sharp, the sky an unflussy blue. I've hired a nice car, Mercedes, especially for the journey, in case she sees what I'm driving. The man even gave me a discount when I told him where I was going. The 400-mile round trip will be a breeze in this beauty. It even reverse parks itself for you. So here I am, driving down the M4 to be face-to-face with her for the last time. I've been fantasising about killing her since I was 15, so it's inevitable, I suppose but I never imagined it would be like this. I know I sound cruel, crazy even, but I have tried. I sent her a Mother's Day card last year to try and patch things up, or at least to soothe the bitterness that is eating through my flesh, but she sent it back unopened, with, you're as evil as your grandmother, I wish you were dead, scrawled on the envelope in her touchingly childlike writing. I had tried, I kept trying to please her, to be what she wanted me to be, to be lovable. Perhaps I am evil. Maybe she's right. But if I am, what made me so? What makes us who we are? How do we learn to hurt, to wound? I read somewhere that it's a weird soup of genetics, environment and your family's past that recurs through you. That we inherit the nightmares and the midnight flits, the love and tenderness, the hungers and the riots, just as much as Uncle Frank's crooked nose and your mother's varicose veins. Nature and nurture. So you see what I mean? So that for me feels a bit like it's trying to explain too much. Like it's uh, having to resort to exposition, which could just be my bad writing. But I just feel like a character in the first person... I feel tied to a straight line almost. Almost like it's too close, too personal, too centred. And I suppose in a way we're being sort of tied in 
submerged? Who is going to hold their head down under the deep waters of the story? And when are they going to let us back up to take a breath of air? I'd love to know what you guys think. Which would you choose? And do you have any problems with points of view? Of course, the ultimate in the free and direct style is uh, famously Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway, which is extraordinary. But Jane Austen used it too. Um, In fact, loads of authors, of course. And it can be as simple as, I think, how you um, describe something like, you know, you're watching it for a stupid stupid tiredness as opposed to they are exhausted you know she watches stupidly tired so that allows us into the character's judgment of themselves because they stayed up too late rather than the author saying they're exhausted because they stayed up too late oh I don't know but it's that pulling us in as readers we know we're buying into a contract of reading fiction, but pulling us in so we're not jolted out where there's a sudden lapse in concentration or where we there's a crisscross over. But also I really want to make sure, particularly with this novel, The Sound Mirror, that we're getting all of these different voices and honouring those voices and their stories. And for me, point of view is going to be the main element of that and that's what I'm going to have to keep playing with unless you guys rescue me and tell me what's what No, I can make my own decisions but it would be great to hear what your thoughts are on that so let me know I don't know if you guys have read How Fiction Works by James Wood but there's a fantastic chapter called Narrating aptly enough um, in his book and he talks about point of view beautifully and gives some incredible little examples and uh, ways of thinking about it it's really lovely um, I find it really useful it's one of those touchstone books that I come back to all the time whether for writing when I'm feeling a bit stuck or when I'm teaching um, it, I often give it to students because it's just really evocative and clear but without flattening out the magic of that writing of how point of view is so interesting because for me the other thing I'm worried about is uh, that I want to do is capture the not well yeah the fantastic and when I say that I mean that sort of Todorov fantastic that pause between is this is this the way the character sees reality or is is this a pathology is this supernatural is this what is this that hesitation where we wonder at what's what we're in, what we're reading, the world, as opposed to uh, an itemisation or collection of detail and fact, which I'm seeing a lot lately. And I, I find interesting and I think is really, really important. But at the same time, I want to get into these three very different worlds that are incredibly different and have the language reflect those. Anyway, let me know what you're thinking. I just thought I'd read... A couple of different examples of different points of view from other writers because that's what we're talking about and it's interesting. So this is from Deborah Levy's Things I Don't Want to Know. I'm a huge fan of Deborah Levy. And this is in first person and it's just beautifully done. It's so elegant and subtle and has that crisp, clear movement away from... Um, well, it's not in self-indulgence. 
That spring when life was very hard and I was at war with my lot and simply couldn't see where there was to get to, I seemed to cry most on escalators at train stations. Going down them was fine, but there was something about standing still and being carried upwards that did it. From apparently nowhere, tears poured out of me, and by the time I got to the top and felt the wind rushing in, it took all of my effort to stop myself from sobbing. It was as if the momentum of the escalator carrying me forwards and upwards was a physical expression of a conversation I was having with myself. Escalators, which in the early days of their invention were known as travelling staircases or magic stairways, have mysteriously become danger zones. Now, I think for me, what's so wonderful about that is it's revealing something of herself, of this narrator. Um, and of course, as soon as you start writing something, it becomes heightened and fictionalised and mythologised. But she does it with this incredible writer's eye. So she still has that distance where she's thinking about when the escalator was invented and watching herself as a writer, as opposed to this self-indulgence. I just, yeah, think that's fantastic example of first person and then of course i can't talk about it without reading something of mrs dalloway virginia wolf and i'm going to read the opening which is so famous i know just to be a cliche but it's exquisite and it it this is first person this is free and direct star so mrs dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself for lucy had her work cut out for her the doors would be taken off their hinges. Rumpelmeyer's men were coming. And then, thought Clarissa Dalloway, what a morning, fresh, as if issued to children on a beach. What a lark, what a plunge, for so it had always seemed to her when, with a little squeak of the hinges, which she could hear now, she had burst open the French windows and plunged at Burton into the open air. How fresh, how calm. Stiller than this, of course. The air was in the early morning like the flap of a wave, the kiss of a wave, chill and sharp, and yet, for a girl of 18 as she was then, solemn, feeling as she did, standing there at the open window, that something awful was about to happen, looking at the flowers, at the trees, with the smoke winding off them, and the rooks rising, falling, standing and looking, until Peter Walsh said, musing among the vegetables. Was that it? I prefer men to cauliflowers. Was that it? He must have said it at breakfast one morning when she had gone onto the terrace. Peter Walsh. See, I love how that sort of collapses time and voice and moves us around between author and character. That space, it sort of opens up and then closes and contracts. It's so interesting. It, it gives us loads of freedom. So I love that. Um, and then from Rose Tremaine's Sacred Country... This is um, third person. And I think this is really, this sort of shows us, again, that that has lots of scope for the looking and the detail and those classic storytelling aspects of gathering enough detail so we can conjure the world, see the world around us, which, of course, um, more traditionally novels would do. You had that space and time and expanse and leisure that texts would build that world layer upon layer. And of course, with when we're writing now, we can make an assumption that people will understand our nod at signifiers that we've all seen, even if we haven't been somewhere, we've seen lots and lots of images of photos of films. We're so much more um, 
sophisticated in our understanding of the world most of us anyway in the in the western world have seen so much more that we don't have to tell layer and layer upon layer and layer of detail in the way that we would have had to in the past anyway um so yeah this is rose tremaine the color of the light in edward harker's cellar was amber he worked under a row of tilting parchment shaded lamps the only bright spot in the room was a white bubble of illumination at the base of the large magnifying lens with which he examined the grain of the willow wood for his cricket bats harker was exacting about light a grey or bluish quality vexed him on days when a pool of flat shadowless white hung over the village he would not go out he sent irene to do his errands he refused to look up at the slit of window that gave him air the lamps cast long shadows they were shadows of ancient evenings of deck chair and school board of dead friends he was a sentimental man he stood at his workbench as if at an altar to the past he was 61. His hair was thick but almost white. His face was narrow, with a long, inquiring nose. He sneezed frequently, displacing sawdust, never swept from surfaces. So that, I think that's beautiful. And I, those classic elements of describing the space and giving us a judgment on him, showing us who he is in those details that was almost at arm's length from him, I think it can be really wonderful and lets us in and see that world. But for me in some ways it, it keeps us at that arm's length it's that distance and I think free indirect style is its most interesting because it can release and contract release and contract come close move away come close move away um but again it just depends on the story and who's telling it and why and that's the key isn't it who is our guide for this story what are they going to tell us and as writers we have to weigh up what it is we're trying to say and make sure that voice matches the themes and our aims for what we're writing tell me more about your writing and the point of view and what have you read that you've loved that had a point of view that you you thought was quite interesting or startling or married itself so well to the subject that it, it was seamless I'm always interested to know. I'd love to hear from you guys. Do you guys also have like touchstone books when you're writing? I do. I have like a little pile of books I've gathered that do or have done what I'm trying to do, even if it's slightly differently, obliquely, but where I think, I love this. This is really inspiring. So I've got Jenny Diskey, Deborah Levy. I've got um, HHH. all sorts of different things oh the chorus of stones all piled up um where when i'm really stuck i just sort of stick my nose in and get some inspiration i'm also reading milkman by anna burns at the moment which i am loving and it isn't anywhere near as difficult as i think a critic said although they may not have been saying that in a negative way but i'm really enjoying it again that's another one where the voice is extraordinary carrying me along the characterization's amazing i mean really amazing I feel like I'm in her head. I mean, it's brilliantly done. So there's another one to read if you're looking for inspiration on how to get voice and point of view and pace all tied up in an incredible smooth braid. All right. Next week, I have another special guest coming on to chat. Um, It's someone very, very, very bloody special. So 
tune in for that. Um, and I promise I'll have done some work and be much more upbeat and have more to share with you. So don't forget to subscribe, scribble along with me, send me questions or messages. Um, and of course, if you wouldn't mind, please rate, review and spread the word if you've enjoyed it. This episode was produced, recorded, mixed, bloody, 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 blah, by me. So till the next time, ta-ta for now. Happy writing and reading.